1: Fruit Loops, episode 80. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. No, ma'am. No, no. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because... The news is racist,
2: allegedly.
0: use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod discussion or by joining our Facebook group.
1: All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website, but if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And the most important thing you can do is share our show with your friends. So who are we talking about today, Beth?
0: Today, we're talking about Antoinette Frank. She was a police officer in New Orleans who killed three people during a robbery, including another police officer. So she was more of a mass murderer than a serial killer, but she might actually be a serial killer. We'll get into it.
1: Okay, but before we do, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, We had our Zoom party last Saturday with our patrons, and uh, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I concur. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Um, we didn't really know like what to expect, right? But it was an absolute blast. Thank you, everyone who has and does support our show, and everyone who joined us on the call. It was amazing. It was.
0: <laughs> it was so cool to talk to you guys and see you and
1: mm-hmm. uh, hear
0: your stories. And it was yeah, super yeah. I get fun. to know you
1: all a little bit better. So yeah, uh, I think we'll be doing more in the future because that yes, was dope. We will. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah become a patron and you can see kind of what beth and wendy look like <laughs> we, uh, we came a little incognito
0: but yeah a little
1: bit but we were there in the flesh um yeah. uh or zoom zoom flesh <clears throat> zoom flesh <clears throat> so uh, now we're going to get into some listener letters Ooh, hello
0: angels thank you thank you what's in the bag beth we got a few new patrons like uh, 64 Zenita, and josie and our patron erica raised her pledge so Woo! thank you to all thank of you. you hip-hop air yeah. horns to all of you
1: <laughs> yeah. oh also on the zoom call People were like, and I I didn't even think of this before. People were like, where is the hip hop era? And I was like, oh, don't. I didn't bring my sound stuff in here. So for all of you who are on the Zoom call, I'm so sorry. This is for you. Okay. Go ahead.
0: Uh, So this is from Likeya64. Y'all are doing incredible work. You guys were actually the first podcast I listened to. Everything else in Spotify in the Spotify menu looked boring. <laughs> 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 From y'all, I found other incredible podcasts like Inf- Affirmative Murder and Once Upon a Crime. I didn't realize the podcast world was basically a PWI, which That's- means
1: predominantly white institution
0: okay uh even though i'm a journalist i am constantly surprised that wendy has to say allegedly in every intro you inspired <laughs> me thank you and thank you like 64
1: yes thank you <laughs>
3: Yeah, and
0: Wendy doesn't really have to say allegedly, but uh, it's become part of the intro, and uh, we like it. So yeah, so it stays.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, we've decided. Yep. Uh, so now we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to dive into the story when we come back.
3: Affirmative murder is the equal opportunity murder podcast dedicated to shining a light on the darker side of true crime. By Alvin Williams and Evans. These two y- Yo. I'm in the middle of recording promo for the podcast. Do you need to eat chips right now? Yeah, man, I'm not bothering you. I'm hungry. You are bothering me. I'm not bothering you. Oh my god, you make me so angry. Um, anyway, uh make sure you check out affirmative murder on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcast today. Hey man, let me get a chip. No.
1: And we're back. So who was our subject today, Beth?
0: (laughs) Today we're talking about Antoinette Frank, a police officer who killed three people in New Orleans during a robbery. And just to be clear, she was the one doing the robbing. Oh, snap.
1: Uh, So now we're going to get into the stats. So Antoinette Frank, a.k.a. the murderous mastermind behind the Kim On restaurant murders, was born on April 30th, 1971. So she was a Taurus. And uh, I saw a post on Instagram and most serial killers appear to be Geminis and Sagittarius's. Interesting. Uh, At least the ones on this list. Anyway, interesting. Take that and do what you want. Uh, (laughs) She was born in Opelousas, Louisiana, and moved to New Orleans, where she became a police officer in 1993. And back then, interesting statistic: in the early 90s, a police officer's salary in Nola was less than twenty thousand dollars. She killed three people, including her partner. Uh, The crimes took place on March 4th in 1995 at Kim on a Vietnamese restaurant in New Orleans East. Uh, She is currently incarcerated on death row in Angola, which used to be a plantation, everyone. Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana. Uh, She's the only woman on death row in the entire state of Louisiana. And another interesting stat, you know I love me some stats, uh, is that there (laughs) are about 50 51 women i believe currently in car- currently on death row in the United States and women represent only uh 1% of the 1492 executions mm. performed in the United States since 1976. Interesting. Uh, yes ma'am. So now we're going to dive into the settings. Splish splash. Take us there Beth. The setting is New Orleans, Louisiana
0: in the mid 90s. But first, let's talk about the history of policing in New Orleans. Mm. New Orleans is a unique city. It has a complicated colonial and racial history. The city was French and then Spanish before Louisiana became an American territory in 1803.
1: Mm, Louisiana Purchase. I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, A large population of free people of color, or gens de couleur libre, lived among the enslaved people of color. Some of the free people of color were well-off, and a few actually owned slaves themselves. Free people
0: of color in New Orleans were legally equivalent to whites, and the enslaved people there could gain freedom in different ways, for example, by defending the colony or teaching a master's children. The 1810 census records the city's population as about one-third white, one-third free people of color, and one-third African enslaved. This has been referred to as a tripartite racial order.
1: Mm, Interesting. Um, By the way, when I I lived in New Orleans for a summer and I Uh went to a plantation and it was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life. And I went with a bunch of black people. Now I've heard that when white people go to these things, all they care about is what the white people did, the fancy place, the the fancy China that they ate off of and shit like that. But I was blown away by the slave quarters. Like the slaves yeah. built them themselves.
2: Right. Um,
1: uh, and, uh, just, uh, it was fascinating. So if you ever get the opportunity to go to a plantation and take the tour, um, Go there for the right reasons.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was I uh, was in North Carolina visiting in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the museums there are free. Mm-hmm. And oh, cool. one of the, yeah, pretty cool. One of the museums I went to had slave quarters. It was inside the building, but it was like uh, made up as if people were still living there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, what's the word I'm looking for? It was interesting, but also heartbreaking, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, another interesting thing I learned is, so the um, slaves were kidnapped from West Africa and brought to the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, And they used African people to facilitate um, putting the um, enslaved people in chains and onto these ships. And in order to convince or um persuade the Africans to do that to their own people they had to get them drunk otherwise oh, they wow. wouldn't have been able to do it so I thought that that was interesting
0: that is interesting.
1: Uh, however after Louisiana became an American territory in 1803 there was a concerted effort to contain segregate and disempower free people of color shocking <laughs> and due to immigration mostly of Irish and Germans by 1840, 58% of the New Orleans population was white. The tripartite uh, racial order became a biracial order with people being classified only as black and white, which is again, a construct made up only by white people to promote white supremacy. Yes.
0: After the Civil War, Black people petitioned their state governments to appoint Black men to police forces in southern cities, such as Atlanta and New Orleans. On May 28, 1867, after Reconstruction, Charles Corsell, a Black man, was appointed to the Board of Police Commissioners in New Orleans.
1: And um, I guess this is a little bit of a culture corner, but in fact, Reconstruction was the most progressive period in American history. Even more progressive than today, where Mm -hmm. Black people owned businesses and were in the government. Dousseau-Picot and Emile Farrar, two other Black men, were hired by the New Orleans police for soon after. These men were among the first Southern police officers in the South after the Civil War. The next month brought more than a dozen more Black men to the New Orleans Police Department. New Orleans' Octave Ray became the first Black police captain in American history in 1868. Wow, that's exciting.
0: Hip-hop air horns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Black New Orleans police officers encountered a more racially harmonious environment than the rest of the South, maybe because of the city's earlier history of the tripartite racial order. But black officers in New Orleans were allowed to patrol both black and white areas and
1: arrest both black and white offenders. Mm, that's not true of um, many a police departments no. uh, throughout the United States. Probably. Right. Uh, I'll get to it. The men were also trusted to be responsible as their equipment included both a badge and a firearm. And many American police departments did not allow police officers to carry guns at all, in some cases up until the 1970s. Right. According to W. Marvin
0: Delaney, author of the book, Black Police in America, in almost every case, black police officers were appointed by Republican administrations to protect African-Americans from the endemic white violence and terrorism that characterized the Reconstruction era. Now, uh, Republicans today love to say that they are the party of Lincoln, which is true. Mm -hmm. Lincoln was a Republican, but what they don't say or often don't understand or refuse to acknowledge mm-hmm. is that the Democrat and Republican parties were completely different in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party back then was the Liberal Party and the platforms of the two parties essentially flipped in the following century.
1: Yeah. And uh, for more history on that, listen to Into the w- Into the Wilderness uh, podcast by uh, John Favreau. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, so although Lincoln's priority was to maintain the Union, and if he could have kept the institution of slavery while doing so, he would have. So don't get it twisted. Black men continued to have a presence in the South Police Department in the 1880s, but Reconstruction in 1877 marked the decline of the prevalence of Southern Black police officers.
0: During the late 1870s and 1880s, Black men on the force were either fired, retired, or simply not kept on as democratic rule returned to Southern cities. Finally, the rise of Jim Crow laws in the 1890s ended the careers of most of the remaining Black men in law enforcement in the southern states, with a few exceptions.
1: Yeah, I I mean, Reconstruction really made um, Southern whites' blood boil, Yeah, Uh, and uh, they did everything that they could um, to uh, stop it. And they did. Uh, In the early to mid-1900s, Black police officers were hired mainly to police other Black people. They were hired based mainly on their physicality and were expected to use physical force. Some of them were brutal. During the decades of the
0: 60s, 70s and 80s, New Orleans experienced white flight, where white people moved to the suburbs and the city of New Orleans or Orleans Parish had a Black majority. At the same time, there was very little investment in the city in terms of economic development, jobs, housing, education and law enforcement.
1: Uh, The NLPD has a long history of corruption. The police officers of the NLPD were underpaid and the department had a tough time keeping good officers and detectives. And because police officers were underpaid, many of them would moonlight by taking on these paid details to essentially do private security for local businesses. But some officers actually
0: worked as muscle for drug kingpins. And a local jail was known on the street as the Glue Factory for its brutal treatment of prisoners. Mm. There was a lot of corruption within the department, and that's not to say that there weren't good cops, but they couldn't freely or without consequence blow the whistle on the corruption that they witnessed.
1: Yeah. Um, Ernest Dutch Morial, the first black mayor of New Orleans attempted to reform the force in the late seventies and early 1980s. Even when the department hired more black officers as part of that reform effort, corruption and brutality continued into the late 80s and early 90s. In 1994,
0: New Orleans was the murder capital of the United States and the NOPD was in bad shape. The agency was losing about 100 officers per year. Many of them fired or arrested and they were hiring only half that many. The NOPD had a reputation for lax hiring standards, low salaries, corruption and brutality. But the 90s saw an explosion of scandalous incidents.
1: What's that, a scandal you say? Uh, somebody says scandal, I come running. Uh, scandal, starring Kerry Washington. Um, by the way, my mom, so we posted a while back, people were like, what do you guys look like? And I um, posted, you did Janine Garofalo as your celebrity look like, and right. I did um, the lady from The Walking Dead. Right. And my, I told my mom that, and she was like, What? I think you look like Kerry Washington. And then my aunt was like, I've always thought you look like Kerry Washington. And I was like, how come nobody told me this until now? Uh, <laughs> thank you. I have to look. Because <laughs> I don't know
0: who Kerry Washington is. Come on.
2: Famous I, Kerry I
1: Washington. Scandal. Don't watch. American Son on Netflix. Don't watch. I can't think yeah, of what else you she's look. In. You look kind of like her. Yeah. Hey, that's cool. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna just take it and. Hold it in my heart and I'm going to keep it there forever. Okay. You Uh, you can have it. Okay. All right. So in 1994, two officers were arrested for murder. One for the killing of a man the officer suspected of breaking into his apartment. The other for ordering the execution of a woman who had filed a brutality complaint against him. Not good. Not good. Not a good look, guys. Nope. Also in
0: 1994, the FBI arrested 10 New Orleans cops on federal drug trafficking charges. CBS's Mike Wallace called New Orleans the number one city in the nation for police brutality and corruption.
1: Hmm. Not good Not good No bueno Uh, So now we're going to get into The early life Of the people involved In this uh, story So Antoinette Frank As we said Was born in Opelousas, Louisiana It's outside of Baton Rouge Where she lived With her mother Marianne Frank And her father Adam Frank Sr. And three brothers Antoinette said That she always wanted To be a police officer And she was a member Of the Opelousas Junior Police And uh, the New Orleans Police Explorers Some sources say that her mother abandoned her and
0: she was then raised by her father, Adam Frank Sr. Um, But there's a lot of stuff about her early life that went back and forth. And I I didn't find enough collaboration to say that that's absolutely what happened. Mm -hmm. But that's what some sources said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her her father was not always there for her either. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Frank was a Vietnam vet. he suffered from PTSD and he was volatile. So even when he was around, it wasn't great. And Antoinette later alleged that he also sexually abused her.
1: By the time she was 13, one of her brothers had been arrested for armed robbery and attempted manslaughter. She had an unstable childhood, to say the least.
0: She graduated from high school in Appaloosis where nobody really remembered her. She began working at a Walmart, but was eventually fired due to frequent personality conflicts with her fellow employees. She then moved to New Orleans and got
1: a job at the Walmart there. And in June of 1992, Antoinette allowed her father to move in with her when he'd lost his home and had nowhere else to live. But her father disappeared a little over a year later, and it was assumed that he had just abandoned her again. In
0: 1992, Antoinette's brother, Adam Frank Jr., was on probation for two counts of burglary. He absconded from probation supervision and a warrant was issued for his arrest. He remained at large.
2: Something is creeping. Don't it Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorized financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. that
3: we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually.
2: To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. On the morning of August 1st, 1966... Come play with us.
1: So now we're going to head on down to the timeline. Frank applied i was just thinking oh we're gonna rock down to timeline (laughs) avenue uh frank applied yeah frank applied to the new orleans police department the day that she turned 20 which was the earliest that she could apply she did well on the physical and written test but failed the psychiatric psychological evaluations Frank lied and said that she'd never been
0: fired from a job, but she, of course, had been fired from the Walmart in Opelousas and had lied about it on her application. And she neglected to mention that her brother, Adam Jr., was a law fugitive.
1: I mean, is it lying if you omit information? Uh, Apparently it is. Okay, Uh, noted. (laughs) From here on out... That's the code I'll live by. Uh, She also scored poorly on two standardized psychological evaluations. She invalidated the test because she was trying really hard to skew the test in her favor. And she was below average on empathy, decision-making, rule-abiding, which comes up later, and impulse control. Uh, the psychologist who reviewed Frank's tests recommended a psychiatric interview.
0: So Dr. Skuria interviewed Frank for about 30 minutes. During the interview, he got the impression that she was preoccupied with making herself look good, and he also noted that she was a quote-unquote name dropper.
1: Uh-oh, bad sign. <laughs>
0: It's annoying. Red
1: flag. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Dr. Scuria found her to be average in social maturity and tolerance, emotional stability and competence and assertiveness.
1: But he found her to be unacceptable in integrity and forthrightness big deals when you're a cop. Uh, He rated her below average in insight and empathy, sound judgment and common sense, freedom from psychopathology and conventional and rule abiding. In
0: his report, Dr. Scuria wrote that Frank seemed shallow and superficial. He concluded by saying, I do not feel that the applicant is suitable for the job of police officer. The misrepresentation of her job history was a major factor in his decision to find her unacceptable.
1: Oh, so they knew that
0: she lied. Yeah, yeah, they did, because they do background checks.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, they're so underfunded, I would think, and they yeah, can't they, pay their officers. Yeah,
0: it, it, it could have gone through, but yeah, they knew.
1: Yeah. So she was technically denied a spot on the NOPD. She appealed the decision and enlisted a private psychologist's opinion to say she was okay. And she got letters of recommendations from judges and other police officers, some of whom were forged um, to support her getting a spot on the NOPD.
0: Apparently depressed about the possibility that she might not get her dream job, Frank then disappeared, leaving a suicide note addressed to her father. Her dad filed a missing persons report, but Frank turned up the next day. Less than three weeks later, the police department hired her anyway.
1: Wait, uh, I just got this note and then here, here you are. Uh, can we <laughs> talk about this for a minute?
0: Like, Yeah, apparently she didn't tell her father what happened or anything. She didn't want to
1: talk about it. Mm, okay. Um, so I guess we just move on then. Uh, during the early 1990s, there was a crime wave in the city of New Orleans. The NOPD was chronically shorthanded and they needed new recruits. And also at the time, uh, they were trying to recruit more black officers and women. Frank was hired in February of
0: 1993 and graduated from the police academy the same month. I think it was like three weeks. <laughs> which Is that all it takes for police academy? inadequate. Yeah, I, I, in uh, New Orleans, in 1993, apparently so. Yeah. Oh, oh here I am thinking <laughs> it took like months. Like, well, I think in in a lot of places it does, but uh, uh, not at the time not in New, New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Her platoon commander stated that she was accommodating and would try to do anything asked of her. Hmm.
1: According to him, she seemed to get on well with her fellow officers, but her skills as police officer were limited to very basic assignments. She had problems with any assignment of an intricate nature. But her fellow
0: police officers described her as weak, indecisive, and some said she was borderline irrational. Hmm. They said that she was not a joy to work with. She accused the male officers of sexually harassing her and the female officers of being quote unquote mean
1: so when they were like, she's borderline irrational, not a joy to work with, like that's something dudes say about any women yeah. that they are not um, pleased with. But if the female and the male officers are saying complaining, yeah, yeah this this is not the one, um, then maybe the common denominator is you, Antoinette Frank <laughs> Uh After her first six months on the force, her supervisor was close to having her return to the police academy for more training, but there was a shortage of manpower and she was needed on the streets. Instead, he teamed her up with a seasoned officer who was not. Happy about it.
0: On November 25th, 1994, Frank handled a shooting involving a man named Rogers Lacaz. Lacaz was raised by a single religious and strict mother in New Orleans. He and his brother started hustling and selling drugs to survive. At about age 17, his mother kicked him out
1: of the house. Selling drugs! <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that evening of November 25th, Rogers was shot and taken to the hospital. Officer Frank went to the hospital to show Lacaze a photo lineup. Investigators believe this was the first contact between the two, but Frank would later claim that she had met him months prior. Hmm. She followed his medical progress, then called
0: and visited after his discharge from the hospital. Frank began giving him money, buying him gifts and clothes. She seemed to have good intentions at first. She helped him get his GED and find work. But by February of 1995, she'd purchased two cell phones, one for him and one for herself.
1: Hmm. So we're getting closer to the crime. Oh, no. Frank and LaClaze uh, began spending a lot of time together and she did little to hide it from her fellow police officers and superiors. While Frank was on duty, Cause would ride shotgun with her uh, in her police cruiser. On one occasion, when Frank responded to a report of an auto accident, LaClaze was riding in the front seat with her in the patrol unit. At Frank's direction, LaClaze
0: got behind the wheel and repositioned the unit. At another point, he directed Traffic. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Other officers on the scene took him for an off-duty or plainclothes police officer, because who would do that?
1: <laughs> I. That's insane. I, yeah. I picture, Have you ever seen, there's like a clip of Shaq, he was in a movie, and he was like a police officer in this crazy-ass wig, and he's directing Traffic, but then it just <laughs> turns into like a dance-off. Uh, <laughs> and he, that's what I picture it being like, Lacaz is <laughs> just like dancing in the middle of the street directing yeah. traffic. Um, so this is crazy. While on duty and still in uniform, Frank would drive Lacaz in her tro- in her patrol car unit to apply for jobs. Frank also took him with her when responding to calls and when speaking with citizens, she would introduce him as her trainee. Whoa. It is believed that the two embarked
0: on a shakedown and robbery spree against other small time criminals, and that Frank set up innocent people to take the fall for crimes she and Lacaz had actually committed.
1: Oh, there it is. Uh, the Kim An restaurant was a family owned and operated Vietnamese restaurant. Nguyễn Vu and her children had come to the United States from Vietnam four years prior, reuniting with Bik Vu, a husband and father that they had not seen for 10 years. Siblings Quang, Chai, how Ha Kwok and Vui Vu worked together with their parents to make the restaurant a success. And the Vu family were very tightly knit as many immigrant families and communities are.
0: Yeah. Officer Ronnie Williams, a married father of a four year old who was expecting another child, worked security for the Kim on restaurant. Officer Williams grew up in New Orleans East, where he played football in school when he turned twenty one he joined the NOPD he wanted to be a good cop and passed through the academy with flying colors
1: yeah he he, he was a good cop um, yeah and by all accounts a, a great man um, and Maybe this is racist of me I'm sorry But I saw the name (laughs) Ronnie Williams And I was like That's a brother But Ronnie Williams Is as white as they come Yeah He Uh, was a white guy Yeah I started writing that In the script And I was like (laughs) Wait a minute (laughs) He's not black at all Uh, so <laughs> the <laughs> Vooz treated him like family because he and his wife were expecting another baby and he needed to have some days off. Officer Williams uh, tapped Frank to help him with the, the security at Kimon. She would work security on the days that he could not. During that time, the Vu family grew close
0: to both Frank and Williams. They were very kind to Frank. They gave her free food, gifts. They even let her borrow money on occasion. When Frank brought Lacaz around Kim on, she introduced him to the Vus as her
1: nephew. Hmm. Frank knew the VU's distrusted banks. Uh, she also knew that they kept all their money in cash. During the weeks leading up to the robbery, Frank checked out a 9mm pistol from the NOPD evidence room, and she later reported the gun stolen. And the police uh, in New Orleans at the time had to get their own guns. Like, they didn't get department-issued weapons. Oh, they didn't weapons. get department
0: guns? So no. they could... Could check out guns from the evidence room?
1: That's my understanding. Oh, yes. okay.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about that, why th- she was allowed to do that, because that was all on the up and up, that mm-hmm. she could check out that gun from the evidence room. Yeah, yeah. But... uh she did report it stolen. So Lacaz was with Frank when a police officer arrived at her house to take the report about the stolen gun. Lacaz later told detectives that the report was bogus, that the pistol hadn't been stolen at all. Hmm.
1: Maybe get your stories straight, Frank and lacaz <laughs> On uh, March 2nd, 1995, Frank and LaClaz stopped at Walmart to buy a box of nine millimeter bullets. Frank was on the clock wearing her police uniform and driving a patrol car at the time.
0: On March 3rd, around 9 p.m., Frank called the Kim on to ask if she would be needed for the detail that night. Frank spoke with Chow Vu, the daughter of the owner. Chow advised Frank that she would not be needed as Officer Williams would work from 11 p.m. until closing time, which was normally around 1 a.m.
1: After Frank completed her shift at the police station, she went home to change and then picked up La and drove to the Caymane. She entered alone asking for cold drinks for herself and her nephew, quote unquote, who remained in the car. Frank spoke with Officer Williams and with Miss Vu.
0: And it was my understanding that uh, she would just come in and and get food and they would just give it to her for free. So Mm -hmm. she came in to get these drinks. And they just gave them to her. She didn't mm-hmm. have to pay for him. So mm. Williams's shift at the police department had ended at 11 p.m. and then he had come straight to the restaurant to work the security detail. And Williams needed the extra money because 10 days earlier, his wife had given birth to their second son, Patrick.
1: Frank told Chow that she and her nephew were going to a midnight movie and left with the drinks. Business was slow that evening and the family decided to close early. Mrs. Vu went home, leaving her children to clean up. Frank called the restaurant about
0: 15 minutes later to order some food, saying that she had missed the movie. At this point, there were six people in the restaurant. Chow, who was 23, her sister Ha, who was 24, her brother Kwok, who was 18, and her other brother Kwong, who was 17. And a waitress named Tu- And 25 year old Officer Williams. And um, I have not been able to find out what happened to the waitress, too. Mm -hmm. But uh, she may have left after this. This is uh, after this part. I don't know what happened with her.
1: Yeah, I didn't see her name in any of the um, follow-ups. Right. Um, Frank and Lacaz, who she said was her nephew, arrived at the restaurant minutes later and were the only customers. Their order was brought out in styrofoam containers, but Frank and Lacaz decided to eat there. Very suspicious. Chow
0: took close notice of Frank's dinner partner, later describing him to please as a short African-American man with several gold-front teeth. Kwok, who was sweeping up around the tables, also made note of Frank's companion because he kept staring at him. Frank and the man left without finishing their meal, exited the restaurant, but remained outside talking.
1: The gold teeth is interesting. I have several uncles who have... Uh, gold, gold teeth. teeth in the front and right. are very proud of them. Right. Um, and I also have uh, a couple gold teeth. One of them is named Beyonce, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th- my dentists were always surprised when I was like, "Can I get a gold one?" Like, um, I guess people don't ask for those anymore. I don't yeah, know. But, yeah. And there's that rap song, "Gold all in my mouth, gold <laughs> all in my." W-. I mean, go- gold teeth to um, for the culture anyway. For black culture, is um, a, like a status symbol. Yeah, um, like they're proud of them. Yeah, yeah. So. I just haven't noticed that um, amongst my Caucasian counterparts. So
0: right, yeah, we usually go for the uh, ceramic, I
1: guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> white on white on white. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the restaurant had an attached grocery store with uh, which the Vu family also ran. Chow went to the grocery side of the building, unlocked the doors and bid Frank and Lacaz good night. Frank asked if she c- would be needed Saturday night for the security detail. Uh, after checking with officer Williams, Chow said no, that Williams would handle it. The two got in Frank's car and drove off and Chow locked up. So I gather like they were Close, the voos were close with Frank but they did not like or trust her as much as they did Officer Williams, Williams yeah
0: yeah and uh they did not like Lacaz right yeah and and this part of the story i got the feeling that uh, Chow went to bid them goodnight, was like, uh, get the fuck out of here. You know, yeah. and that was her way. Like, Good night. Good night. <laughs> I'm locking up now. Okay. Goodbye. never want to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> So, shortly thereafter, Frank and the man returned for a third time. Okay. Chow had had a bad feeling all night. As Frank kept returning to the restaurant, she thought Frank was acting weird, and Lacaz actually scared her.
1: Yeah this this whole thing is ding 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 like yeah, suspicious, ain't right? Yeah. but like w- Officer Williams is there. Like, you know what could go wrong? Like, he's here to keep us exactly. safe anyway. So, yeah, um, all right. Uh, Chow became frightened when she saw Frank coming back. She shouted to Officer Williams and Kwok not to open the doors gathered the money she had been counting and ran to the kitchen where her sister, Ha, and brother Quang were cleaning. She hid the money in a microwave. Kwok Vu had been talking
0: with Williams and sweeping the floors when he saw Frank pull into the parking lot, maneuver her car, then exit and walk up to the glass door and begin shaking it.
1: Ooh, that's scary. Very, very scary. Um <laughs> He called to Chow and moved toward the kitchen. Chow was leaving the kitchen area and coming towards him when suddenly Kwok saw Frank there inside the restaurant it is believed that frank had stolen a key earlier and just let herself in jesus santa maria this is crazy frank began pushing chow and Quack back towards the kitchen
0: saying that they needed to talk Officer Williams was behind the bar and he moved in Chow and Kwok's direction. Lacaz, armed with the 99 millimeter pistol, had come up behind Williams as Williams was facing away from him. I got the idea that he kind of snuck behind him mm. while Williams
1: was focused on Frank Chow and Kwok. Lacazes shot Williams in the neck at close range, which immediately severed his spinal cord. Williams fell paralyzed and Lacazes shot him two more times in the head and back, killing him. He then took the officer's revolver and his wallet. Frank, who was in the kitchen, spun around and ran
0: towards the bar in the front of the restaurant. While she was distracted, Chow and Kwok ran in the opposite direction, going deeper into the building. As they ran, they called to Ha and Kwong, who were by the stoves, to come along. But for some reason, Ha and Kwong did not follow.
1: And they were the two younger ones, right?
0: Uh, One of them was the
1: youngest, I think. Okay. I think Kwong was the youngest. Uh, so Chow and Kwok raced through the, the kitchen and into a large room sized cooler situated between the kitchen and attached grocery store. Kwok turned off the cooler's lights as they entered and crouched down from the darkened interior. He and Chow were able to see into the parts of the kitchen and bar through a small window.
0: The siblings heard more gunfire, but were unable to see who was shooting. Kwok observed Frank and her companion running around, rummaging, looking for the money. Then he heard gunfire from the area where he'd last seen his siblings, Ha and Kwong.
1: Frank, his heart must have just like dropped. Um, Frank had forced Ha and Kwong to their knees, and the two siblings held hands and began praying and begging for their lives. Frank shot both of them at close range with the same gun LaCaz had used to kill Williams. Then the killers began searching for others, assuming that they had all escaped, Frank and Lacaz left the restaurant. Outside, Frank and Lacaz took off in
0: Frank's battered 1977 Ford Torino. From her vantage point inside the cooler, Chow looked through the windows of the grocery to the parking lot and watched Frank's car pull out and drive away. But she and Kwok hesitated to leave the safety of the cooler.
1: Frank dropped a cause off at his girlfriend's apartment near the Kim on restaurant. I didn't realize he had a girlfriend. I thought that mm-hmm. he was romantic with Frank. Yeah.
0: Um, their relationship. I'm not really sure exactly what their relationship was because um, like a lot of the TV shows focused on that. They had this passionate uh, smoking relationship mm-hmm. Um and that Frank and Lacoste said that they, they didn't. I don't doubt that they did. They probably did. But he mm-hmm. also had a girlfriend, so I I don't I don't really know. They had an interesting relationship. Let's just say.
1: Yeah, and there's always this element um, when um, white people tell the story about um, women. Uh, killers or um, female POC killers, there's always this element of sex that they have to throw into it to make the story more interesting and believable. And it is entirely possible that they just had a weird relationship that was like platonic, like maybe yeah, it mean, could have been
0: platonic and they, they were just like BFFs, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, all of all of the TV shows focused on the allegation that they had this uh, passionate sexual relationship. And I don't know. I don't know if they did or not.
1: I don't either. Um, but it is just interesting that they they have to like inject that in, part, inject in that. Point, yeah. Yeah. Whether or not there's any evidence of it. Um, yeah. Yeah that exists. So Frank told him not to worry that she would return and take care of things. She would report that several black masked men broke through the back door of the restaurant and started shooting. She would be able to to do this because there ain't no way that anyone would ever believe she had anything to do with it. Frank returned
0: to the station house to swap out her personal car for a patrol unit, which she then used to return to the scene. Meanwhile, Chow left the cooler to try to reach the telephone or her cell phone at the bar.
1: Her telephone normally kept on the bar was gone. Going to retrieve her cell phone, Chow saw Officer Williams' body still in police uniform. Officer Ronnie Williams was face down behind the bar in a pool of blood. Chow then lost all confidence because the person that protects us is lying right there. She returned to the cooler with her cell phone and attempted
0: unsuccessfully to call 911. She was so distraught that she was unable to communicate clearly. And it's my understanding that she was having trouble speaking English and had reverted to her native language of Vietnamese. And Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that that would be a nightmare.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she finally reached a friend and asked him to call 911. The friend's call was received by 911 oper- operators at one forty eight a.m. In the meantime, Kwok left the cooler on the kitchen side to look for his brother and sister, Kwong and Ha. He found them both lying in pools of blood.
0: Kwong Vu had been an altar boy at St. Bridget Catholic Church. He had played high school football and wanted to be a priest. Havu was considering becoming a nun. Both worked long hours at their parents' restaurant.
1: So, this is totally unrelated, but at one point in my life, I wanted to be a nun after watching all of the Sister Act movies um, <laughs> and realized wait, I'm not Catholic, so I can't do that. Uh,
2: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious.
1: <laughs> Ha Vu had died instantly. Uh, she was still on her knees. Uh, her forehead was resting on the floor. Kwang Vu took longer to die. God, that breaks my heart. Frank had yeah. shot him repeatedly in the chest and back. When Frank heard him trying to talk, he shot him again, firing two bullets into his head. Kwok decided to
0: leave and try to reach a friend's house to call the police from there. Kwok's call from his friend's home was received by 911 operators at 1.50
1: a.m. All right, so now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. So the police unit arrived on the scene at 1.52 a.m. Officers Wayne Favre, not the guy from Super Troopers, this (laughs) officer Wayne Favre and Reginald Jacques pulled into an empty parking lot. Jacques went around the back while Favre approached the front.
0: Chow had waited, quote unquote, so long in the cooler for help to arrive. She saw one patrol car pull up but hesitated Quote, not wanting to go outside because I know Antoinette is police too. When she heard more sirens approaching, she felt safe enough to leave the building.
1: Chow darted out of the building and ran towards Officer Favre. Favre observed a black female running a short distance behind the Vietnamese female, whom he recognized as another police officer, Antoinette Frank. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Frank had returned to the restaurant
0: just seconds before the police. As Chow ran from the restaurant, it appeared that Frank was running after her, but she was stopped by the officers. Mm. She identified herself as a police officer and said that three masked men had escaped out of
1: the back door.
0: Chow was still having difficulty speaking English. Wow.
1: So, um, shout out to Chow for getting, like, escaping the grasp of Frank. Um, Right. But then the audacity of Miss Frank to, at this point, believe that. uh she the jig is away not with up. It. She, just, yeah. she, she still got it. Uh yeah. Farve entered the restaurant with the semi-hysterical Vietnamese female right behind him. The bodies of Hov and Quang were found next to the stoves, each shot multiple times. Officer Williams was shot 3 times. After quickly checking all 3 victims, Farve made the appropriate notifications by radio, then withdrew to the front of the restaurant. Arriving close behind him in another unit was his wife, Officer Yvonne
0: Favre who pulled in as her husband had entered the restaurant. She attempted to follow him, but was stopped by Chow, who bolted from the building, crying and shouting. Yvonne Favre later testified that she, quote, just grabbed onto me, so I held her. Frank had reached out to grab Chow, but she, quote, saw the lady with the uniform and ran to her, and she
1: hugged me. Oh, man. Mm. um. You know, I don't say nice things about police officers on this show very often, but this one, Yvonne Favre, sounds like a good one. Yeah. Uh, Frank kept asking Chow where she and her brother had hidden and what happened to her sister and other brother. Chow answered, you was there. You know everything. Why you ask me that? Sensing Chow's fear, the female officer pulled Chow away
0: and told Frank not to leave. Slowly, Chow was able to say what had happened. Chow told her that Antoinette and a short black man with gold in his teeth had come in and were just shooting everybody. When Kwok returned to the scene, he validated
1: what Chow had said. Antoinette, Frank was questioned at the scene and then taken into custody. At first, Frank said that she was outside the restaurant when the shootings occurred. When confronted with the information that Chow and Kwok said, she uh, changed her story and claimed that she had been in the back of the restaurant when the shootings began. And she had escorted Chow and Kwok out the back door.
0: But investigators found that the back door was locked. Mm. They also questioned why she did not call police on her radio and why she did not provide assistance to her fellow police officer. Very reasonable questions. Yes. Realizing that she was caught, Frank confessed to being present when the murders occurred, but claimed that the robbery was Lacaze's idea, and she had been forced to participate. After this confession, she actually asked if she would lose her job over this.
1: What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and one of the officers described her as delusional <laughs> i'll say yeah. uh, police found and took Lacaz in cus- into custody when they were each interrogated they pointed the finger at each other as being the trigger man frank finally said that she shot the younger brother and sister but only because Lacaz had put a gun to her head Lacaz said he was present at the scene but didn't shoot anyone they were both charged with armed robbery and murder The microwave oven where Chow Vu tossed the uncounted
0: currency was empty. Neither the money nor the murder weapon were ever found.
1: Oh, interesting. Um, So now we're going to get into the trial. Lacaz's trial was first. He tried to convince the jury that he was not at the restaurant and that Frank had acted alone. They claimed that she was upset about the Vus had cut her Hours, but evidence was presented to uh, presented that Lacaz had used Ronnie Williams' credit card at a gas station about forty-five minutes after the murders. Gotcha.
0: <laughs> the jury took ninety minutes to find Lacaz guilty of three counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to death by a lethal injection
1: on September fifth, nineteen ninety-five. Frank's trial began in October nineteen ninety-five. A jury took twenty-two minutes to find Frank guilty, and she was also sentenced to death by a lethal injection for the murders of Officer Ronald Williams and Ha Kwang Vu. You cannot kill a police officer and get away with it in this country. Yeah. After her trial, a dog
0: dug up human remains in the crawl space under Frank's house. Oh boy. The skeleton of a male who had been shot in the head was unearthed. The remains have never been officially identified, but are suspected, assumed really, to be those of Adam Frank Sr., who Antoinette had reported missing in 1993.
1: Holy shitballs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because Frank was already sentenced to death, prosecutors elected not to pursue that case. But
0: yeah, she's a serial killer. She killed her dad.
1: Yeah, uh, I think so. Um, yeah. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Hit it, Beth.
0: In 2006, Frank's lawyers tried to get her death sentence overturned. They argued that the defense had not been allowed to conduct an investigation into the defendant's background for possible mitigating evidence.
1: Frank's attorneys introduced the testimony of psychiatrists who said that traumatic events in Frank's childhood, such as physical, psychological, and sexual abuse, could have affected her behavior at the time of the murders, and she may have. Have been suffering from PTSD. But a state psychiatrist
0: disagreed that Frank showed symptoms of trauma. He agreed with the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial tendencies given to Frank by doctors at the Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women.
1: PTSD is an interesting one. And um, I was listening to a podcast talking about how um, coronavirus is causing oh. PTSD for in everybody oh, including wow. children um oh, wow. who not are good. yeah so not good not good all around anyway um on may twenty second two thousand seven the state louisiana supreme court ruled five to two that the death penalty should be upheld Antoinette Frank is currently incarcerated as we said at the beginning of the show on death row at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola Louisiana she's the only woman on death row in the state of Louisiana
3: 3am the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire let me tell you what you're gonna get you're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions prison stabbings skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix cult leaders missing 411 night marchers operation paperclip mesopotamian devil worship and so many monsters it'll give kanye west a runaway for his money pop and meme culture also aren't off topic A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore.
2: I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children.
3: What are you thinking?
2: What a mess.
3: U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all... ...is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. ...and me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network.
0: On July 23rd, 2015... Judge Michael Kirby granted Rogers Lacaze a new trial because a former police officer had been on his jury, which was a violation of jury rules. Hmm. The appeals lawyers also alleged that prosecutors had improperly withheld evidence that suggested it may have been Adam Frank Jr., not Lacaz, who helped a- Antoinette Frank carry out the robbery and murders.
1: Oh, I forgot about her fugitive brother. Um, Adam Frank Jr. was brought to the New Orleans Criminal District Court from Angola Prison, where on the witness stand, he swore he did not participate in the March 4th, 1995 triple murder. He said he moved to Rayville in northern Louisiana and was not even in New Orleans uh, when the murders occurred. Frank also
0: testified that he had gone to the Kim On with his sister and that he would sometimes speak with Chow Vu. Chow Vu testified that Lacaz was Antoinette Frank's accomplice, not Adam Frank Jr. And in 2019, Lacaz was resentenced to life without parole.
1: Uh, it's interesting that he did not get the death penalty.
0: Um, he did.
1: He- oh, I-, I thought it was life without
0: parole. He he got the death penalty in his first trial and then he was retried. And oh. the second trial, he was resentenced to life without parole.
1: So he, the death penalty is out because he got the retrial. For him yeah.
0: because he got the retrial. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> and um, and this was in 2019, so, you know, the mood has changed
1: on the death penalty. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, and I used to be rah, rah for the death penalty, but, right. um, but only because in my head I was like, oh, well, if somebody did something wrong, they shouldn't like cost the system more money, but it actually costs more money, um, to, uh, put somebody, to put death, somebody yeah. on death row. Yes. Yep. Uh, and also we incarcerate and put a lot of innocent people on death row. Um, yep. so the idea That's always of getting been, been my opinion. Yeah. yeah.
0: If there's any chance that any of these people on death row are innocent, like even one of them, then mm-hmm. we should not have the death penalty at all. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the people who get the death penalty are people of color and mm-hmm. it weighs more heavily on the uh, black community than on the white community. And Mm -hmm. it's not fair. And also it costs more money. So all of that.
1: All of that. So pick your Mm -hmm. argument, pick your side. (laughs) It's wrong all around. Um, (laughs) Mary Williams, the wife of Officer Ronnie Williams, grew very close to the Vu family. They spent a lot of time together. Lastly, the Kim On restaurant moved locations and changed its name to Kim On Noodle House. Uh, But they are still in New Orleans. Yep. So now we're going to get into what we think made uh, Miss Frank snap as well as our takeaways from
0: this case. I'll let you go first. Beth. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so Antoinette, Frank. I am. <laughs> Antoinette Frank's early life uh, apparently sucked. Both she and her mother said that her father was abusive and would throw fits of rage, like tear things apart, um, throw things across the room, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Frank did claim that her father sexually abused her, but this was only after the trial when Mm -hmm. she was interviewed by some psychologists and they were looking for mitigating factors. So I don't know if that actually happened. Mm -hmm. All of the psychologists agreed that if she had been sexually abused, it would have been more likely than not that it would have showed in her behavior at the time Mm -hmm. when she was a preteen uh, slash teenager. But uh, it did not. She Mm -hmm. did well in school and was successful. So Um, They didn't totally rule it out, but they they did question it.
1: Well, I was just going to say because, um, you know, Tara Reid and Joe Biden stories in the news and I think of Christine Blasey Ford. And when something like sexually or or anything traumatic happens to you, like your brain um, doesn't remember it in a linear fashion. Right. Um, And so she could have been sexually abused. Yes. Maybe it um, she she didn't remember it in a linear fashion, and, or, yeah, and yeah. wasn't able to express it, um, yeah. until later on in life. We don't really know if she was, or yeah, not, but we I'm don't know,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm just saying what they said, mm-hmm. so it's possible she was, it's possible she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she wanted to be a cop for all the wrong reasons.
1: Mm-hmm. She
0: liked the power and authority that it gave her, and when she hooked up with Rogers Lacaz, they somehow they influenced each other in a very bad way
1: Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. he he was also younger than her i think he was 18 and she was in her 20s and uh he also which we didn't mention earlier he had a low iq it was a a little above 70 oh and so i think she liked having influence and power over him um which she did not have with her fellow officers who did not like her Mm -hmm. um I also think that she was angry with the Voos and Williams because they weren't giving her the amount of work, meaning money that mm. she thought she deserved, even though the Voo's had been incredibly kind to her. And Williams was the one who actually gave her the job. Right? Um, she was ungrateful and entitled. And um, there may be an element, too, with the cause where maybe she talked up her game and wanted to impress him about how badass she was, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really um, bothered me about this case is, why she felt it was necessary to kill these people. Um, she knew them. She knew all of them. She was friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and sh- if she had a key to the building, she and the cause could have entered after everyone left and stole the money. Right. If the object of the robbery was the money, there was a, a better way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there had to be something that made the actual crime, the, the robbery and murders, necessary to her like revenge a sense of power showing off to Lacaz, mm. um something like that um because otherwise they could have just robbed the restaurant when everybody was gone and nobody would have been the wiser
1: mm, hot takes beth <laughs> uh uh so uh It sounded to me like I don't think she snapped. No. Um, There was a need for her to earn more income, the abysmal pay that the NOPD officers made. Um, She shouldn't have allowed to be a cop in the first place, given her psyche vows, which uh, basically showed she had narcissistic personality disorder, had no empathy, and didn't think rules applied to her. Um, I also think that there was an element of her maybe thinking that Immigrants were somehow inept Because their English wasn't great And they were kind of innocent And seemed like easy targets to her Which is fucked up and an ugly American thing to do Um, These people were immigrants Um, But not only that, they were business People, like Jay-Z says I'm not a businessman, I'm a business Man Uh, (laughs) Which takes skill And intellect Um, But hold the fuck on, she didn't count On them being able to articulate that it was her and she wildly underestimated that and this was a messy poorly thought out crime and I also think that she was thinking that she could hide behind her badge or like some Blue Lives Matter bullshit to get off and guess what that only works for white male cops so the joke's on Frank (laughs) (laughs) So, now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So, if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you.
2: (laughs)
0: this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's experiences sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips
1: So whenever you go to any place, take a good look around. you got to be thinking at all times. If the zombie apocalypse hits hits, or shit goes down, where are the nearest exits? What can I use as a shield or weaponry? Will I have to turn this table over? Will I have to throw a shawl shaker or use my fork or steak knife to defend myself? A situation like the one that occurred in this restaurant would be terrifying to anybody. Yeah. Um, but the best thing that you can do is try to stay calm and stay out of sight. If a robber were to demand something of you, just give it to them right away. Um, once the thief has left, then secure the place or go to a safe place if you can. Activate any alarms. Call the police. When the police arrive or they contact you, um, after in, in, when you're in a safe place, you can help help them with the investigation. Don't touch anything in case the police can use it for forensic evidence later, DNA, fingerprints, fingerprints, hair, blah, blah, blah. And make a mental note. Or if you can, if you have the wherewithal paper notes of what you remember Um, and afterwards, be sure to seek some mental health treatment um, to help you cope with the trauma of the event. That's all I got. Oh, good tips. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now we're going to get into the shout out portion Of our show where we shout out any content By people of color, about people of color Or any true kind of goodies Okay so I wanted to shout out Never Have I Ever on Netflix It is very funny A comedy about an Indian girl being raised In Los Angeles by her widowed immigrant Hardcore Indian mother uh, And she has a queer black friend And an, a flamboyant Asian friend It's about friendship, being a teenager Trying to fit in In this predominantly white space Um, and uh, it is fantastic. It is very funny, um, lighthearted. Is it a TV show or a movie? It's a TV show. It's a series. Oh, sweet, sweet. I've been looking
0: for something funny.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, And then also a book by Malcolm Gladwell, which I finished in one day. It's called Talking to Strangers and he gets into the Sandra Bland case, the Amanda Knox case, because everybody was like in, in Italy was like, that bitch did it. She's fucked yeah. Roxy, And yep. she was just a weird, awkward, young woman. Girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, but basically it's about how we are always misunderstanding each other. And people are, it's causing people to die, get killed and get locked up because of it. So it's. Wow. that it sounds good. Yeah. yeah. What do you got? So this one is kind of
0: a true crime goodie. Um, it's a podcast. It's not always about true crime. But uh, in any case, it's a podcast called This Is Actually Happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People tell stories about the terrible things that, that, that have happened to them. Um, It's an it's interesting and a little different because the host is not really present in the stories. I think he probably asks the people questions and lets them talk. And then uh, it when editing cuts himself out of it. So all you hear is them telling the stories. Mm -hmm. And anyway, one of the recent episodes was called What If Your Mom Was Murdered by a Serial Killer? And a woman talks about how her mother was killed by the Green River Killer and how it impacted her life. And uh, it was really interesting. Yeah.
1: I saw that episode in my feed and scrolled right past it. But now. <laughs> That's a good one. Now I you know what I'll listen to when I go to sleep tonight.
0: <laughs> and and uh, something I wanted to mention in the episode, she she talks about how she doesn't understand how people can be fans of true crime. And uh, I have I have to say that I am not a fan of true crime. I'm interested in true crime. I'm not like, rah, rah, true crime. I never described myself as a fan of true crime. And she said that she is interested in psychology because her mom had some mental health issues Mm -hmm. and it's, it's similar for me. I am interested in true crime because of, I think because of my brother, Mm -hmm. um, and and also psychology because i want to know i just want to know what what makes these people do these things that's yeah. all
1: i i'm glad you made that distinction um because i i think um people who are into true crime i think i don't know any other way to describe it than i mean that's the that's how we describe things i'm a fan or i'm a stan you know um but I, I'm not like, um, I'm like right, buying the Greenville yeah. Killer merch. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm not in the Greenville Killer
0: fan club. Yeah, and it kind of kind of grosses me out when when people uh, have like. Uh, merch with uh, pictures of serial killers on it and not interested. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of serial killers. I'm not a fan of true crime. It just, it's a topic that interests me. That's all. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's interesting yeah. and it's fun to talk about, hence Fruit Loops.
0: Yes. Anyway, <laughs> uh,
1: where can the people find
0: us, Beth? Our website is com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app. Or you can become a monthly patron through our podcast. Patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on
1: our website. Sure do. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.